0: Good morning. morning. It is a privilege for me to be here. Always fun to come back to Oak Ridge, the place I grew up. And uh, I remember the very first Sunday of Oak Ridge. That was Montclair Senior Public School, I think, in Oakville. I remember the day, the ground, uh, first, what do they call it? The breaking of the ground here, something like that. You know what I'm talking about, very exciting. And uh, so a joy to come back and see many familiar faces and lots of new faces as well. Uh, as David mentioned, I'm uh, serving at Prison Fellowship Canada. I've been doing that for about four years, and before that, uh, served for uh, over 12 years in pastoral ministry, and uh, just excited about what God is doing. Uh, would love to share more a little bit later with you about Prison Fellowship, if you have any questions. But we are doing our camping program right now, where we send kids uh, to camps, uh, parent, uh, kids who have a parent who's incarcerated. We give them a weekend camp through the generosity of donors, And we send them to places like Camp Iniohe and um, Circle Square and Camp Iowa and Ontario and right across the country. And so an exciting season that we would value your prayers on right now in the ministry. And would love to chat with you further about that. I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. And we're going to be looking at... Uh, in the time I have uh, most of the chapter this morning. I'm going to take you through this um, quickly, but hopefully in a way that uh, is clear for us and uh, gives us the ability to hear what God has to say. So let me begin with a word of prayer, and then we'll dive uh, into this as we talk about the power of Jesus' name. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the joy of being here this morning with your people. Lord, I thank you for all that you are doing in this place and for the season ahead that is for for Oak Ridge. And we praise you for all that has gone before us as well. And Lord, we thank you that you are a God who loves us as we've sung and as we've just reflected on this morning. Lord, thank you that you are a God who speaks to us. And Lord, your word says that all scripture is breathed out by you. Every word from Genesis to the end of Revelation, God, is your word speaking to us. And it's here for us, God, to reveal your son Jesus to us and to show us how to respond. And so I pray this morning as we look to your word that we would hear you speaking to us very specifically and clearly. I pray, God, that you would make yourself known and that your Holy Spirit would illuminate this for us and give us willing hearts to obey you. Lord, would you speak through me? May this be about you and you alone. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're talking this morning about the power of Jesus' name. And if you've ever been on an airplane, you know that there is a pretty cool moment ready to take off where the pilot uh, tells you to to fasten your seatbelts, put up your tray tables, make sure your luggage is stowed, and he he taxes you out to the end of the runway. And then there's that moment. Remember that moment where he engages the engine and and you kind of get pushed back in your seat and the thing starts picking up speed, heading towards the end of the runway, and at the right moment, it lifts off into the sky. It's an amazing moment if you really think about what's happening there. And it's a moment that it really shows an awesome display of power. You know, one of the distinguishing marks of the early church was the power that was upon it through the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ had, had gone and he had been crucified for us. Three days later, he rose from the dead, the resurrection power of God. And then he gathers his disciples together in Acts chapter 1. And he says, uh, I'm, I'm heading to heaven and I'll be back. And you're you're, you're to wait for uh, the time when the Spirit of God comes upon you with power. And when that happens, you are going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so Acts chapter 2, as the disciples are together, the Spirit of God falls upon them. They speak in in, in various languages and tongues, and and the early church is born, and Peter preaches this phenomenal message, and thousands come to Jesus Christ. As we turn our attention to Acts chapter 3 now, we're going to see the power of the name of Jesus on display, and we're going to see what God is able to do through the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Now, here's the thing we're after this morning. We don't want to just understand the power of Jesus Christ. We want to experience it, right? I don't know about you, but in my life and in my family and in my marriage and in all the things God is calling me to do, I want to know the power of Jesus Christ. I want that to be my experience. And so the scriptures tell us in Ephesians 1 that the same resurrection power The same resurrection power that that the Christ experience is now available to us through the Holy Spirit as we're people who are on mission. Think about that. We can experience the power of Jesus' name in our own lives. So let's look to Acts chapter 3 and let's talk about what that looks like and how that can become a reality for us this morning. Acts chapter 3 verses 1 through 10 for now. It says this, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple for the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. A man who was lame from birth was being carried there. He was placed each day at the temple gate called Beautiful so that he could beg from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked for money. And Peter, along with John, looked straight at him and said, Look at us. So he turned to them, expecting to get something from them. But Peter said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Then, taking him by the right hand, he raised him up, and at once his feet and ankles became strong. So he jumped up and started to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized that he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple. So they were filled with awe and astonishment at what had happened to him. Here we see the powerful name of Jesus Christ on display. And for that to be our own experience, I want to draw your attention to four things this morning. If, if you're going to take notes or just feel free to listen along But the first thing is this. To experience the power of Jesus Christ requires first that we recognize our desperate need for him. That we recognize our desperate need for him. The experience of God's power begins in a place of humility. Now look with me at the text And notice verse 1 as we kind of set up the scene. We find Peter and John on their way uh, for the time of prayer, uh, going up to the temple for the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now, for for the Jewish faith, there were three times of prayer set aside each day. There was the third hour after sunrise around 9 a.m. There was the ninth hour around 3 p.m. And then there was sundown. And so here's Peter and John Uh, About three o'clock in the afternoon, the ninth hour, it might say in your Bibles, on their way to the temple for prayer. And notice who else that we encounter here in the story. Verse two says, a man who was lame from birth was being carried there as well. Now we're not told anything about this man's condition other than he was lame, he was crippled. There was something going on with his legs or his ankles that were preventing him from walking. We learned later in Acts chapter four that he was over forty years old, so he's he was like my age. You're like, wow, he's forty now. It's true. I, I'm now over forty years old. Believe it or not, four kids, and uh, God is good to me. All right, but here's this man. Uh, he's been in this condition f- from his birth, and he doesn't have the access to modern medicine that we have. And and so here he is being carried every single day to the temple, placed. It says each day at the temple gate called Beautiful. So that he could what? So that he could beg. So that he could beg from those entering the temple. Have you ever encountered a beggar before? Maybe you were downtown Toronto or downtown Hamilton and there was somebody sitting there. Maybe you were pulling off the QEW and then there was somebody there at the side with a sign. You know, back in, in these days, beggars were very common. They would park themselves outside the homes of rich people, outside the main on the on the main roads, they would be here at the temple gates as a place where they could beg and ask for money. And in this case, this man, we're told, was placed outside the gate called Beautiful. Now, scholars don't know much about this gate. This is just a picture of a gate, a temple gate. But uh, the general consensus is that this guy is at the main eastern gate of the temple. This gate is about 75 feet high. It's made out of Corinthian bronze, huge double doors. It took 20 men to shut it uh, when it needed to be closed. The point is, is that this is a high traffic part of the temple, and at three o'clock in the afternoon, when people are going for prayer, this is the QEW at five o'clock in the afternoon. I'm on it every single day. It's rush hour, and this is a perfect chance for this man uh, to receive some kindness. Now, in the Jewish faith, acts of charity were an integral part of their faith. They they were about the Torah. They were about worship. And they were about the giving of alms or helping out beggars like this as a way to demonstrate their dedication to God. Now all that really to point you to the fact that here we have a man who is lame from birth for over four decades who clearly understands what it's like to be desperate. He relies on people to carry him wherever he needs to go and he relies on the generosity of others to meet his basic needs. He's a man who gets desperation. You know, back in March I had the opportunity to visit my sister Julianne, who some of you know, she lives in Zambia now. Uh she's home right now, but back in March she was over in Zambia with her with her family and so I had the privilege to go and see her. And we're in this in, in Macha in this place. I think I have a picture of this. Uh, can we show that picture? Uh I'm having dinner with, with some of the kids at Macha International Christian School and there there's I can't even remember the young boy's name that I'm sitting beside. Okay, one of them is my nephew. You can figure out which one is my nephew. The one on the other side is is the boy that I'm talking about, and he's talking to me, and we're we're engaging in conversation while we're eating uh, shima. It's called. It was very messy for me, and um, and he says to me, "Mr. John, Mr. John, do you own a car?" And I didn't really want to get into the intricacies of financing versus leasing, and the fact that I don't really own a car, but. But he said, do you have a car? And in his village, to have a car is a big deal. I mean, very few people. Most people are walking to get water. They don't have a lot of electricity. It's, it was pretty rural. And so he says, do you have a car? And honestly, I was embarrassed by the question because I have two cars in my driveway. I've got a minivan because I've got four kids, And then I got the car that I drive to work with every single day. Now, I don't think there's anything wrong with that necessarily. But the point is, is that in North America, we have so much in comparison, don't we? We live pretty comfortable lives here in Oakville and in Burlington where I'm living. I mean, it's it's pretty comfortable comparatively speaking. And for many of us, myself included, recognizing desperation before God does not come naturally to us. It's not our default. We don't necessarily get desperation the way others might. Yes, we go through desperate moments. Yes, we go through desperate seasons. We've been in those. I've been in those myself. But it's not our default. And yet, the experience of God's power in our lives begins in a place of desperation. Jesus says, blessed is the poor in spirit. Blessed is the person who recognizes they have nothing apart from Jesus Christ to stand on. Proverbs 3 says that God gives grace to the humble. He pours out his spirit upon those who are in a place of humility. And so the experience of God's power is not about trying harder. It's not about trying harder to be a better parent or a better husband or to fix your marriage or to overcome your anxiety or anger. It's not about trying harder to keep your thought life pure or to have the courage to share your faith with your neighbor. It's about humility. It's about humbling yourself before God, recognizing your need for him, and throwing yourself before him. That's when the power of God begins to flow. And so as we think about this morning, the question to reflect on is, do I realize how much I desperately need God right now? And God, would you open my eyes to see that in a fresh way? The experience of God's power begins in a place of desperation. Notice, secondly, this from verses 4 through 10, that the experience of God's power, the power of the name of Jesus, requires that we call upon his name in faith. That we call on his name in faith. Look at verse 4 with me as we get back into the story. So we've met the man, this, this lame man who's begging for money. Verse 4 says that, uh, sorry, verse 3, he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple and he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, And said, look at us. Okay, so he stops, turns to the to the man he's begging, and he kind of does the parent thing. Hey, look right here. Look, 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 look. I do this all the time with my boys at home. Look at me right now when I'm talking. Okay? And so he's saying, look, and the man, it says, turns and looks at him. Verse 5. He turned to them, expecting to get something from them. This is his moment. He's about to get some money. And yet, verse 6. But Peter said, silver and gold I do not have. Can you imagine the disappointment in this moment? Here's this guy thinking he's about to get some silver coins or or denarii or whatever he's going to get, and Peter shows up and he, and he completely bait and switch on him. I don't have any money. I mean, unless you take debit or tap, I got nothing to offer you right now. But he says, that's not actually true. Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have... I give to you. And he says, in the name of Jesus Christ, check this out, walk. And notice what happens in verse 7. Don't miss this. Then, taking him by the right hand, he raised him up, and at once his feet and his ankles became strong. says that in your Bible, right? Absolutely, and so he jumps up and starts to walk and he enters the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God and all the people saw him walking and praising God and they recognized that this was the man, this was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple. This incredible display of God's power. A man who could never walk, stands to his feet, his legs and his ankles are working just fine, and he starts jumping around and leaping, and I'm not going to demonstrate for you, but you can imagine what that would have looked like. Think of a deer bouncing through the fields. This is what's going on, and it's an incredible display of God's power. Now, here's what I believe. I believe that God hasn't changed. Do you believe that? God is the same yesterday, today, and forever we sang saying that this morning. And the same God who had the ability to empower this man and make him walk is the same God who has the ability to empower us to do what he's called us to do. And you've probably experienced that or seen or know people who have. Some, I can tell you stories of people who've experienced the healing power of God physically. I can tell you stories of people who've experienced emotional healing from wounds of the past. I can tell you stories of people who've experienced relational healing in their marriages and in their families because of what God has done. And it isn't always instantaneous at once like this man. Sometimes it takes time. Sometimes it takes a lot of time. Sometimes it takes all the way to the other side of heaven before we fully experience the healing that God has to offer. But Christ is our healer and we have the ability to experience his healing power as we call upon his name in faith. You know, when I was growing up, my parents used to play the gathers for for us. Uh, They have the gather tapes. And uh, back in those days, I didn't really appreciate it. I'm going to be honest with you. Hopefully that doesn't offend you. But uh, now, more and more, I'm starting to, you know, remember those songs. And there was a song in particular. I'm not going to sing it for you, but but the words went something like this. Jesus, 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 there's something about that name. You know that one. What is it about the name of Jesus that's so special? What is it that is so special about calling upon the name of Jesus of Nazareth, as Peter does in this passage? Well, let me put some verses up on the screen for you and just allow this to wash over you and renew your mind. This is what the scriptures say about the name of Jesus. Proverbs 18, verse 10 says, "...the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are protected." Next verse says this. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. We can be protected by the name of Jesus and we can find help in the name of Jesus. Luke chapter 10, the disciples come back from being sent out and it says this. The 72 return with joy saying that even the demons submit to us in your name. Romans ten thirteen says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's amazing. Acts four verse twelve says there's salvation in no one else. There's no other name under heaven by given to man by which we must be saved. Acts ten forty three says that all the prophets testify about Jesus that through His name everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins. And finally, this. Philippians 2, 9 through 11. For this reason, God has highly exalted him, Jesus, and given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is the name of Jesus. This is the power of the name of Jesus, and this is the name that we can call upon to experience that power For ourselves. If you're here this morning and you have a physical need, an emotional need, a relational need, if there's a situation where you need the experience of God's power in your life, then I would encourage you, I would challenge you this morning to call upon the name of the Lord in faith. Humble yourself before Him, admit your need for Him, and open yourself up to the experience of God's power. Look with me now at verses 11 as we continue. To experience the power of God requires humility, it requires calling upon the name of the Lord in faith, and thirdly, this, requires that we make much of Jesus, that we make much of Jesus, that God is all about exalting the name of his son, Jesus. And anytime we turn the focus off ourselves and onto him, anytime we magnify Jesus, and as we've done this morning through worship, We open ourselves up to the power of God beginning to flow. Now look back at verse 11 and notice the response of the people to seeing this crippled man now fully healed. Verse 11 says, While this man, while he was holding on to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astonished, ran towards them in what is called Solomon's colonnade. So they're they're stunned. They can't even believe what they've just seen. They come rushing towards Peter. Now, put yourself in this situation in Peter's shoes. There's a great crowd rushing towards you. They're blown away. How would you respond? Back when I was in junior high, um, I may or may not have played the role of the scarecrow in The Wizard of Oz. I did play the scarecrow, I'll admit it. And I had to sing that song if I only had a brain. And and Anyways, let's move on from that. But I remember back in that, in that play, there was the, the best job. The job that I actually wanted was the guy with the spotlight in the back you know that job? And his only job, or her only job in that moment, is just to keep the light on the right person. And that's really what, what Peter is, is about to do. It's, it's, he has the opportunity to take the spotlight and turn on himself. This is his chance to write his book, to uh, start blogging about this, to sell the movie rights, to hit the late night talk show, show scene in Jerusalem and tell a story about what, what God has just done here. But that's not what he does. Notice what he does in verse 12. Do you see it? When Peter saw this, he addressed the people. Fellow Israelites, why are you amazed at this? Why do you stare at us as though we have made him walk by our own power or godliness? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors, has glorified his servant, Jesus. Do you see what he's doing here? He's taking the spotlight off of himself And he's putting it on to Jesus. And he's saying, hey, this wasn't me. I know it looks like it was me, but it wasn't actually me. It was Jesus through me who has done this. And you remember Jesus, right? You remember him. He was the guy that rode in on the donkey not too long ago and you were shouting Hosanna. But then the Friday you decided to kill him. Do you remember him? Remember that guy? And he goes on in verse 13. Notice what he says. He says, Uh, Jesus, whom you handed over and denied before Pilate, though he had decided to release him. You denied the holy and righteous one and asked to have a murderer released to you. You killed the source of life whom God raised from the dead. We are witnesses of this. He is refreshing their memory on who Jesus is. And he's throwing it down right now, isn't he? He's turning the attention onto Christ. And then he drives the point home in verse 16. This is the key verse in this section. By faith in his name, his name has made this man strong, whom you see and know. So the faith that comes through Jesus has given him this perfect health in front of all of you. Peter's main goal in this moment is to put the focus all on Jesus. His main goal is to direct his focus upwards. You know, I don't know how many of you are on social media or on Facebook or Instagram or whatever. And I, you know, I, I'm on it. And I know one of the great temptations with social media is how easy it is to make the focus on yourself. To promote yourself through these tools. Look at me. Look at what I've done. Look at what my kids are doing. Look what I'm eating tonight for dinner. Look at all of these wonderful things. The places I get to go. And the problem with that is that it's about self. It's about self-glorification and self-promotion. The focus is not on Jesus. I believe this, that as individuals and families and churches in this community, if we want to see the power of God flow in, in new and fresh ways in our lives, one of the things we must ensure is that we keep the focus where it should be. and The focus needs to be on Jesus. In every ministry, in every area, in every part of our lives, God is a jealous God and is not interested in competing for glory. And if we make much of anything else other than him, we begin to hinder his work in our lives. God says this in Isaiah chapter 66, verse 2. He says, this is the one to whom I will look. The one to whom I will look is the one who is humble. The one who takes the focus off himself and puts it upon the Lord. To experience the power of God requires humility, that we call upon the Lord in faith, that we make much of him. And then finally this from verses 17 and on, that we must listen to and do everything he tells us to do. Look at me at verse 17 here as I run through these remaining verses fairly quickly. Peter goes on, he says, Now, brothers and sisters, I know that you acted in ignorance, just as your leaders also did. In this way, God fulfilled what he predicted through all the prophets that his Messiah must suffer. So he saying, hey, I know you didn't get the stuff about Jesus. You were ignorant to that. And God actually said that was going to happen. But now that you know, now that I've told you, here's what you need to do. Verse 19. Therefore, repent and turn back so that your sins may be washed, wiped out, that seasons of refreshment might come from the very presence of of the Lord. He calls them to repentance. Repentance is a seems like a complicated word, but it really is just a 180 degree turn. It starts with a change of mind that leads to a change of behavior. It's changing the direction of our lives. And Peter is calling them and he's calling us to turn away from the former things and to turn ourselves back to the Lord where we can experience forgiveness and where we can experience refreshment. Notice in verse 20 that as we repent, as we turn to the Lord, that times or seasons of refreshment may come from the presence of God. That word refreshment means to be relieved from an experience of burden. Remember last week when it was like 400 degrees out, and we we're all sweating and dying, and, and, and then you walk into your house if you have air conditioning, or you got in your car, and it was just this, ha oh, oh, beautiful. Let's just think about that for a second. This is what he's talking about. This, the experience of the refreshment of God's presence upon us that comes through repentance. I want to ask you this morning if you've done that. Can you look to a time in your life when you encountered Jesus and you acknowledged your sin and you said, I need you, and you turned from your sin to the Lord and experienced the refreshment that comes through the forgiveness of sins? To experience God's power requires that step. And notice then in these remaining verses that true repentance always leads to obedience. True repentance always leads to obedience. If you're a parent, you get this. It's easy, at least in my house, to get my kids to admit stuff. It's harder to get them to actually stop doing what they've admitted and start doing what they should be doing. And that's the same in my own life too for all of us as well. And Peter goes next in these remaining verses. He calls them not just to turn, but to fully listen and do everything that Christ had commanded them to do. He goes on in verse 22. He says, Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers and sisters. You must listen to everything he tells you. And everyone who does not listen to that prophet will be completely cut off from the people. So he's drawing their attention, these Jewish people, back to Moses, who they knew so well. He's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 18, and he's saying, you remember how Moses told you that there was going to be a prophet raised up? Well, well that prophet is Jesus. He's that guy. And he goes on in the remaining verses there to talk about the other prophets and guys like Samuel as well and Abraham who all pointed to the same thing. Verse 26, that God raised up his servant and sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your evil ways. The key word in that whole section that I just want to draw your attention to is in verse 22. In my Bible, it ends with, you must listen to everything he tells you. We must listen to Listen and do everything that Jesus Christ has called us to do. Back in March, we had this, like, two or three days where the weather warmed up really quickly, and uh, I figured, hey, my honeydew list is massive, I I might as well go outside, and I, so I screwed in the hose to our faucet outside, turned the water back on to that faucet, and I was ready to go to get some stuff done, and as I turned the water on, nothing happened. Like, what is going on? I can hear the water flowing, but it's not coming out the other end, and, What had happened? Well, obviously, I had left the hose in the shed, and it had frozen, and there was chunks of ice. And so I had to literally take the the hose and start beating it against the ground um, to free up the ice, and then all of a sudden the water began to flow. And it was just this great image for me of what happens when we disobey God. Sin is like that blockage that prevents the flow of God's presence and power in our lives. We hinder his work through unconfessed sin. But God says in in 1 John 1, verse 9, the great promise, if we confess our sins, if we admit our sins, if we agree with God about uh, what we are doing that is wrong, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If there's sin that we haven't dealt with, if there's habits and attitudes that we've not agreed with God about, they will hinder the power and presence of God in our lives. But we are called to be people of repentance who turn from these things and turn back to the Lord. And listen, it's not so much about being perfect all the time because none of us are. It's not about perfection so much, but rather the direction of our lives and is the direction of my life, is the direction of your life such that we are in a pattern of turning away from the former things and back to the ways of Jesus. I really believe to be effective in our mission, to be effective in what God has called us to do, to truly experience the power of God flowing through us means that we need to be people committed to radical obedience. Uncompromised in what God has called us to do, listening to, and doing everything He's called us to do. This is where the power of God flows in our lives. You know, Ephesians chapter one, Paul appraised this for the people, and you'll know this passage well. Ephesians 1.18, he says this: "I pray that your, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened." so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Verse 19, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. Jesus is the God of all power. There is power in his name. There is resurrection power in his name that is available to us through his Holy Spirit. And it begins as we humble ourselves before him, It begins as we call upon the name of the Lord in faith. It begins when we make much of Christ and when we walk in obedience, listening to and doing everything he tells us to do. This is the people, this is the church that will experience God's power in greater ways. So let me pray as we close. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you are the God of all power. Lord, time and time again, you have shown us through your word the power of God. Lord, you made a way through the sea where there was no path. Lord, you have raised people from the dead. Lord, you have instantly healed people that were sick and lame. God, you have the power to do anything. And you have the power to do far more abundantly than anything we could ever ask or imagine. And so God, this morning, we ask today that you would help us to experience that power more and more. I pray for Oak Ridge, Lord. I pray for this new season.